0: We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 10 if you want to open your Bibles there. 2 Samuel chapter 10. And you know, as we get into it, um, best way I can think of to describe this particular chapter is actually uh, a story that we read about in Luke's gospel about Jesus. He was invited into the home of a certain Pharisee. And so Jesus goes, he goes to this guy's home, shows up, and there's this gal there, and she is just heartbroken, just worshiping the Lord with all of her heart, and she's actually weeping over the Lord, and her tears are falling on his feet, and she's literally washing his feet with her hair. And and as there, she's worshiping, weeping, washing his feet with her hair, she then produces this jar of oil, this alabaster jar of oil. Pliny the Elder, who was an ancient historian, said that the most costly precious oil was was contained in alabaster jars. And so she takes what most uh, roundly recognizes probably the equivalent of several years worth of wages that it would have cost her for this oil. Probably a family heirloom, probably her dowry, and she takes this oil, breaks the neck of the jar, and pours the whole thing over, over Jesus and just worshiping him in this way. Well, as she's doing this, this, this uh, Pharisee, the guy who owns the house, he's just having this, these contemptuous thoughts in his heart and in his mind where he's like, if, if God, if Jesus would have known who this was that was doing this to him, he wouldn't let her do it because she has got a pretty shady past. She's, man, this this gal's been around, you know. And uh, and so Jesus, knowing this guy's heart, he, he, he basically calls him out. And he does so by telling him a parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so he says, hey, you know, let me ask you a question. You know, th- th- there's this guy. And uh, he's loaned money out, and he's got a couple of people that he's loaned money to. One of them owes him a truckload of money, um, and uh, (laughs) this is my paraphrase, kind of what the original Hebrew says, owed him a truckload of money. So this guy owed him a truckload of money, this other guy owed him like 50 bucks, and, and so this guy forgave both of their debts. Now, who do you think loves this guy more? And so this Pharisee goes, well, I don't know, probably the guy that owed him more money. He said, what you said is true. And so then Jesus turns his attention to this gal he says therefore i tell you her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much but he who is forgiven little Jesus said loves little and and as we come to second samuel chapter 10 is a good description of david is david's a guy who's experienced great forgiveness from God, great grace from God. God has been very faithful in David's life. And so David is a guy who loves much. And Jesus said that the entire Bible is summed up in, in two commands that you love God. And that you love others. And we've seen David now working hard to cultivate loving relationships. He's a guy that loves much because he's been forgiven much. And so he's working to express that love. And he's done so both horizontally and vertically. And so we, we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, this, this vertical love for God, where he was, he was just like, God, what can I do for you? I just want to bless you. I want to build a temple for you, and so on. And so we saw that, that, that vertical love being, being expressed to God, but we also saw this horizontal love being expressed by David. We saw him last week looking to honor the house of Saul, and how, how can I, you know, fulfill the covenant that I entered into with Jonathan, and how can I love Jonathan? Descendants uh, in, in the way that, that I had that I committed to. So, really, David just having that heart and that heart being demonstrated. And what we're going to see today as we get into chapter 10 is that he's continuing on this trajectory. That, that David is seeking to bless a guy by the name of Hanun. And uh, th- he's the son of Nahash. And David, just continuing on this trajectory of, I just want to love people and I want to bless God and I want to bless his people. And so we're going to see that today. and We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at a good action. We're going to look at a bad reaction. And then we're going to look at God's protection in the midst of that. And so we'll jump right into it. Second Samuel chapter 10. It says, it happened after this. After what? Well, after David's taking the initiative to say, how can I bless the house of Saul? And how can I fulfill this covenant that I entered into with Jonathan, Saul's son? And so David, there in last chapter, if you missed it, you can tune in online and listen to the message. But basically, it was all about David fulfilling this covenant agreement and blessing um, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. So what happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died. Ammon being uh, there in modern-day Jordan, Ammon still continuing as the capital city of Jordan. So geographically, you know where this is and what they're talking about. And so it says it happened after uh, after this, after David had, had blessed Mephibosheth, uh, that the king of the people of Ammon died, and uh, H- H- Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And then, verse 2, David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of, of uh, Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. And so David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him, that is Hanun, uh, concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the people of Ammon. And so David says here, he says, I will show kindness to Hanun. As his father showed kindness to me. Now we don't know what kindness it was that his father had shown to David. The Bible doesn't record it. And so we, we have no recording of how uh, Hanun's father had shown this kindness to him. Uh, but whatever it was, uh, it was such that David now seeks to repay that kindness to his son. And there's a spiritual principle here, and it's really kind of the first point of application for us as we read this, and we say, well, okay, great, that's what happened historically, but what does this have to do with me? Actually, quite a lot. And here's the spiritual principle. The biblical principle is that God the Father has shown tremendous kindness to you and me. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writing, he says, God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins... He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth, here it is, of his grace and kindness towards us As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God the Father has extended a tremendous kindness to us, to you and me. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. And so what happens is all of us here gathered today, we are all sinners by nature and by choice. You you are a sin by nature. Psychologists will argue that. They'll say, you know what? Bad behavior, bad conduct, that's just a result of your upbringing. Now, the Bible says that's not true. The Bible says that your natural nature is a sin nature. And we see this proven in everyday life. Give you an example. Your two-year-old, you did not have to teach your two-year-old to be selfish and self-centered. It just comes naturally. It's not like, you know, your kid is just this angelic being that is constantly just being a little angel. It's not like you said, no, 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 wait a minute. You, you didn't throw a fit when, when, that, when that kid took your toy. No, no, you need to take the toy back from him. Now you need to hit him with the toy. And you need to say, that's my toy. Now try it again, son. You don't have to teach your kids that. Why? Because their natural nature, they are wired to be selfish and self-centered. Because we all are, we all have a sin nature, and so we are sinners by nature, but we're also sinners by choice. And as we grow up, we live and become more selfish, more self-centered, and we live in such a way. Now, not always, we have shining moments, those Christians and even those that haven't surrendered to Christ, we have shining moments where we behave in a benevolent way or in a, in a you know, good way. But by and large, we're sinners by nature and by choice. And so the Bible says that God, because he loved us, he demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Which is miraculous, remarkable, because what that says, you or me, somebody wrongs you, how are we wired? You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You know? And and we we have the... the uh, you know, Jimmy Mullins, the, the guy that was the sidekick to Elliot Ness, if you've seen the movie Untouchables, he, we have his philosophy of, of life. He says, you know, they put one of your men in the hospital, you put two of their men in the morgue, you know, and that's kind of our natural way to be. But God, he demonstrates his love for us in that while we're yet sinners, Jesus died for us. See, you might go, oh, somebody's wronged me, and oh, you, you've wronged me, you, need, you owe me an apology. And somebody might go, oh, you're right, I, I'm sorry. And then you go, fine, I'll forgive you. It's a good thing you, you apologized. But God says, no, look, I, I, while you're still running headlong in your sin, away from God, denying God, God says, I love you, and I send my son to die for you, even though you don't deserve it. And so we've received this wonderful kindness by God the Father. And just as noon's father, Nahash, showed kindness to David, God our Father has shown this kindness to us. And just as David extended the kindness that Nahash had given to him to his son, noon, so also we are called to extend the kindness of God that he's given to us to his sons and daughters. Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others uh, when they are troubled. He says, when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given to us. And so we have this biblical mandate that we are to, you know, extend the love of God and the kindness that God has given to us. Biblically, God says we're to extend that to other people. The Bible says, you know, don't look out just for your own interests, but for the interest of others. Right? And, and so this is our commandment. Jesus told an interesting story in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 10. He, he tells a story about a man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he said, on the way, as this guy is, 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 is going from... Now, it's not a, it's not a true story. It's a, it's, a, you know, it's a parable. It's an earthly story, heavenly meaning. It's a made-up story. But it's about a guy going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's beaten up by thieves. And we all know the story as the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. And so as Jesus is telling the story, he basically says that there's a priest who came along, and he wouldn't stop to help the guy. And then there's a Levite who comes along. He wouldn't stop and help the guy. And then the hero of the story is a Samaritan who stops and helps the guy. Now, it's interesting. Jesus tells this parable to this guy. This guy stands up. Jesus is talking about the needfulness of loving our neighbors and of of being a a loving person. Hey, you know, the idea, God's loved you. He's been very kind and good to you. So you ought to be kind and good to other people. That's the whole principle, the whole point here from our text. And, And so Jesus is conveying this point, and some guy stands up, and he's like, well, who's my neighbor? You know, he, he wants to, he's, he's like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll be loving. But, you know, if he ain't my neighbor, he ain't getting it. So who's my neighbor? Let's get, this, let's get the fine points down so I know who I need to love and who, who I can, you know, not put the effort forth in. So this is the story Jesus tells. And basically, this guy is a religious leader who asks the question. And Jesus, in his story, he makes the religious leaders the bad guys. And he chooses a Samaritan who they hated, Samaritans were half breeds, and they thought that they were only good for fueling the fire of hell. And so Jesus says, Well, guess what? Here's, guess, you're the, you you know, in this story, the religious leaders, the bad guys, and then you get the Samaritan, and he, what's he do? He sees this guy. Not only does he stop to help, bandages him, nurses him, but he gets the guy a a, a hotel room to kind of recuperate in, goes and pays the money. He's like, Hey, I got a bail, I can't stay. Goes to the innkeeper. Look, I'm going to give you some money. Would you look after him? Would you take care of him? And so Jesus concludes, and he sa- asks the man this question. He says, so which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the guy that, he, that asked him the question, he said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. See, here's the idea. The idea is, that David in our text, he, he, he's exercising a good action. He's saying, man, I, here's a guy. His his dad recently died. He's a young guy who's taken over the responsibility to oversee this his nation. I know what it is to be a young guy who has tons of responsibilities. I know what it is to have people that I love die, and so you know what? I'm just going to extend to him a kindness. Why? Because he's being a good neighbor. Here's my question for you: Who's your neighbor? Who, who has God called you to, to extend a kindness to? Somebody who's in need of compassion. Somebody who's in need of help. Somebody who's in need of food. Or somebody like Hey Noon. They're, they're just in need of some mercy, man. They're going through a tough time. And, and this isn't in my notes, but here's the thing. I mean, as I'm putting this study together and I'm thinking, we're busy. We're all busy, right? I'm, I'm busy. I, I'm assuming you're busy. And, and I, I get to the place a lot of times where I can't even think about other people's situations and circumstances because I got so much stuff going on in my life. It's like, I just don't ask me right now. I can't even think about that. And then, then I, I, I read through this, I study through this, I consider this, and I'm thinking, well, gosh, David was busy too. The guy's leading a whole country, he's in charge of everything. And then there he is, and he's thinking, oh, this, he's got time to consider his neighbor and to go, this guy's hurting, man. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna take the time to extend a kindness to him. Totally convicts me. I don't know about you. But, but, but a great question for us, just to be able to consider, man, there's good actions that God wants me to take to consider, who's my neighbor? Who's, who's got a need? Now, Granted, sometimes this is easier said than done. Some people are easier to help than others, right? I mean, sometimes you, you take the time, like David, to consider, oh, who, who could I help? And then, you know, you get bitten for the action, right? i, I reminded a couple of news stories. There's a gal in, in, in the East Coast. Maybe you, you read about her. She worked at McDonald's, and some firemen came through the drive-thru. You guys heard this story? Firemen come through the drive-thru, she decides... Well, oh, gosh, you know, we, we should bless them. So she, out of her own money, she pays for their food. And then another group of firemen come in, and, and you know, no doubt, you know how it works. That, hey, you're going to get free food over at McDonald's, you know, so they're on their way over there. But another group of firemen comes through, so she asks her boss, she goes, Hey, hey can, we, can we just give them their food? Can we just comp it? He's like, No, nah, we ain't doing that. She's like, Okay, I'll pay for it. Well, they fired her for it. So it's like, well, no good deed goes unpunished, you know? Or there, there's another gal, same kind of situation, Aurora, Colorado. It's a kid's lunchroom. And here's this little first grader. She doesn't have money left on her little food card debit thing. She gives the girl her lunch or her, her breakfast because she's crying. They fire her for it, you know? No good deed goes unpunished. I heard the story about a, 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 a guy, he, he he goes, you know, he goes to heaven, dies and goes to heaven, and, and he's there, and St. Peter says, uh, hey, why should I let you in? This is not theologically correct, by the way, but he said, hey, why should I let you in? He goes, well, I'm a good guy. I've helped all kinds of people out. He goes, well, give me some examples. He says, well, you know what? I'll tell you what. Recently, I, I saw some gal, and a, a group of bikers was just like, they were being really treating her badly and harassing her and he says and I, I stood up and I told him to stop it and to leave her alone Peter goes oh that's cool what happened he goes they ignored me he goes well what'd you do he says well I picked out the biggest meanest biker and he had a nose ring and I ripped his nose ring out and then I kicked his Harley over and I told everybody you're gonna do anything to this girl you're gonna have to go through me first he goes wow that's impressive when did that happen I was like, about three minutes ago <laughs> sometimes, you know, it's like that. You try to help people out, and it just doesn't go well. No good deed goes unpunished. And that's exactly David's experience here. Pick it up in verse 3. It says, and the princes of the people of Ammon, here he sent, you know, people to him. So sorry you're going through what you're going through, bro. You know, thinking of you, whatever. Probably sent a gift along with it. And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanun, their lord, do you think that David really honors your father? Because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? He's not not a good guy. He wants to take over your thing. These are spies. Therefore, verse 4, Hanun took David's servants shaved off half of their beards cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks and sent them away now this was a profound insult especially for a Jew you know that you've you've cut off their clothing exposing you know them physically that's a that's a the big shame right there you shaved off half of their beards in this culture your beard was like your honor it was like a big deal. It's kind of like some people today that are all about their beard or whatever, freaked out about it, you know. And so this, but it was a huge deal there. So for them to shave off half the beard was like the biggest insult that you could do. And so, you know, here's the way they treat. It's like, I'm just trying to bless you guys, and this is the way you react. This is the way you respond. And certainly it is. Now, I want you to take note, all of this happens, why? Well, because people presume to judge David, David's motives. They're judging his motives. Now, that's always a bad course of action for any of us to take, to judge somebody's motive. Why? Well, because that requires that you read their mind. That requires that you, that you know definitively what's going on in their heart. Listen, you don't know what people's minds are. You don't know what's really going on in their heart. You might think you know, but then you're making an assumption. You all know what happens when you make an assumption, right? And so you don't want to do that because what happens is is that God, that's his realm, is to understand what's happening in people's heart, what's happening in people's minds. He knows what's going on. We don't. You see... Judging motives is a bad place to be. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us love believes all things and it hopes all things. Now, that doesn't mean that you just, you know, naively. Believe whatever somebody tells you. You know, it's like, oh honey, you know, I know I came home with lipstick on my collar and smelling like perfume and all, but but really I was just at my buddy's house all night. That's why I didn't come home all night, you know. And I, I know I smell a little bit like alcohol this morning, but but I wasn't drinking, I was just there to comfort him. The wife's like, Look, I was born during the day, but I wasn't born yesterday, okay? You know, and, and so it's not saying you just swallow whatever anybody's saying, but it is saying that you know, for us, love. Of believing all things, it means that you have a heart and an attitude and a mind that says, look, I'm going to go into this thing just believing and trusting and hoping for the best kind of thing. And what happens here, a lot of times, these when we judge somebody's motives, what's going on is we're really projecting. It might be really what's in our heart. Certainly, that's what's going on here with David's advisors. We, 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 it's interesting. We see a similar thing in First Kings. When we get there, you'll see that Rehoboam, Solomon's son has the same thing, that when he assumes the, th- the throne, uh, you know, he's got his older advisors that used to serve his dad, and he's got younger advisors, and the older advisors are saying, look, your kingdom, you got some trouble in the kingdom, and these guys, you need to, like, treat them a little nicer and be a little more gentle with them, but the younger advisors are like, no, 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 you need to double down, you need to be really harsh with them. And so what does Rehoboam do? He listens to the young, inexperienced advisors, and it costs him the the kingdom. It's a great division, war. That's the result, and that's what's going to be the result here. Because he's he's listening to people that, you know, are judging motives and, and all. And, you know, quite the contrary for you and me. We need to understand that we're in a situation, look, love believes all things and it hopes all things. And not only that, But listen, we need to understand that 1 Corinthians 13 also says to us that love endures all things. Listen, as God's children, we will be misunderstood and we will be mistreated. We, and put yourself in David's shoes here if you've ever been in that place. You know, it's easy in a marriage when you think about a time when you really were trying to bless your spouse and all of a sudden they they misunderstood your motives and they accused you of doing something that was completely the opposite of really what was in your heart. You ever been there? That's a treat, isn't it? You go from, oh, I'm going to do something nice to, oh, it's on. You know, and now it's a big old fight. But love, listen, it endures all things. And and the, the important thing for us to understand is that when you seek to serve God, you will be misunderstood, and you're going to be mistreated. Sometimes you're going to do the right thing, and it's going to be taken in the wrong way. Jesus was talking to his disciples in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 10. He's sending his disciples out two by two. And uh, here's what he says to them. He says, look, as you go, I want you to preach, I want you to heal the sick, I want you to cleanse lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, all wonderful stuff. Right. I mean, think about that. He's like, I-, I want you to preach. There are some people, they're going to hell, and you're going to go, and you're going to preach the good news to them, and you are going to be able to really give a kindness to, to people. You're going to save them from eternal damnation to eternal life. There's people that, that are sick. You're going to heal them. There's people that are demon-possessed. You're going to deliver them from, from all of that. I mean, wonderful things that Jesus wants these, his disciples to go out and do. And 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 he says, listen, you know, as you do all this, do it all freely. Freely you've received, freely I want you to give. But he warned them also. He said, not everyone's going to receive you. Listen to what Jesus said. Put on the screen for you. He says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be as wise and harmless as be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. For they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. Listen, the point is we need to expect that we will be misunderstood and we will be mistreated. Jesus told his disciples, he says, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep your word Also, in another occasion, Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's the point. We can't let people's taking our good intentions in a bad way and persecuting us for the good that we are called to do as Christians, we can't let that keep us From freely giving the love and the mercy and the the things that God calls us to do, the kindnesses that God calls us to, to give to other people, kindnesses we've received from God the Father that He wants us to pass on, we can't allow their activity and their actions to dissuade us from doing that. And that's when Jesus warned His disciples and said, I want you to go out and do all of this stuff, but listen, I'm going to give you a warning. He didn't give them that warning so that they wouldn't go out and and deliver those kindnesses to others. He just gave them that warning so that they'd be prepared. Look, understand, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And Jesus knew a little bit something about going to minister God's love to people that were going to reject it. The people that were going to... Per, I mean, Jesus came knowing that they were going to ultimately nail him to a cross, spit in his face and shout at him, die already. While he would hang there and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And notice, it's incredible. Notice David's reaction there in verse 5. It says, when they told David, he sent to meet them, speaking of, the, of his man who he sent who had their beard shaved and clothes cut off, and so on. He sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed, and the king said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. In other words, he says, look, I know you guys have been humiliated trying to do this good thing, so, so don't come back to Jerusalem with your beards all shaved off, and be further humiliated. You've been humiliated enough. Wait here, grow your beard back, and then, you know, you can come on back, and at least we'll save you from further shame. Now, what doesn't David say, what doesn't David do? He doesn't say or do what you and I would do at this situation and say, it is on. I tried to bless you guys, and now I'm going to hurt you guys, right? And, and that's an incredible thing to think about, that, that David would not react, he wouldn't respond. That, that it, Rather, his response would be to, to say, you know what, I'm not going to retaliate. And man, I'm telling you, this is the heart of God. This is yet another reason why David is a man after God's own heart. Paul, writing to the Romans, in Romans chapter 12, he said, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, If you're given to taking notes, I would say write down Romans 12 19 and jot down that phrase, give place to wrath, because it's very interesting in the original language. Here's what it means it means a marked off area. It means a marked off area. And so what the what the teaching is is that look, you know, I'll use David's example. Hey, you step out and you try and bless your neighbor, and and they respond in this way, basically. spit in your face and offend you like this, you know what? You don't go, don't go to war with him. You just mark out that area. It's a special area marked out for God. And you go, you know what? There's the boundaries. There you go, God. That's your area. Now, not only is it marked out for God's wrath. In other words, hey, vengeance is mine. I'm going to repay, says the Lord. It's not just marked out for God to go take him to the woodshed. And for you not to it is that. But you know what what other area is marked out? The area between the action and the judgment. Why is that important? Why do I make that distinction? Well, because the heart of God is that the person who's wronged you and the person who's offended you would repent. And sometimes by you not reacting, sometimes by you saying, look, I'm going to turn that person over to the Lord. That grace extended in that way gives that person time to repent and there can be a great work of reconciliation just by you giving God room to work. And sometimes we get in God's way because we give him no room to work. As I was studying this, as I was putting this together in my notes, I feel strongly impressed by the Holy Spirit of God that this is a word for someone. Maybe a word for multiple someone's. Because, because I think so often this is an area where we blow. We, he didn't retaliate. He says, you know, what I mean? I, I'm just going to focus on taking care of the people who have been hurt. And, and, and I'm not going to retaliate. Now, Peter said this. He said, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it patiently, God's pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He, Jesus, is your example, and you must follow in his steps. And not only is this, by the way, giving God room to work and, and, and all of that, and thinking about this particular situation that David is, is currently in. Man, I tried to bless this guy and they did this. Well, not only is David not reacting to that good for those people because he's turned them over to God, which is the best thing he could do for them, but it's also good for himself, when you're in a situation when you don't give place to wrath but you turn you give room to God and you're like I'm going to turn them over it's good for you too because Romans 8:28 tells us that in all things God works together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose and what's going to happen here they're going to go to war but David's not going to initiate it we're about to read where they double down and they now go to war against David as if insulting him wasn't bad enough. They're going to go to war and they're going to lose badly. Spoiler alert, too late. And they're going to lose badly. And what's God going to do with all that? Well, not only is he going to bring David through that, but also he's going to fulfill prophecy that he gave to Abraham and Joshua. Because he, in, in Genesis chapter 15 and again in Joshua chapter 1, God prophesied that the borders of Israel would extend to the river Euphrates, and this is what's going to fulfill that. So, so even though it went down in a way that David wouldn't have chosen, God's going to use it for his good. Now, we continue in verse 6, and we read, When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, that word repulsive literally means stinky, stinky, It's funny, that's what it means. They stunk to high heaven. And somebody, you know, they might treat you in a way where you go, man, that stinks that you would do that. I mean, here I was just seeking to bless you and you do this thing, that just stinks. And when they saw that what they had done, they'd made themselves stinky to David, repulsive to David, the people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rahab and the Syrians of Zobah 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Makkah, 1,000 men, and from Ishtab, 12,000 men. It was a very common practice in this day. It's like, you know, hey, we are gonna uh, got some problem. Looks like we're, you know, going to Duke City here. So they would go and they'd hire themselves some mercenaries. And so this is exactly what happens is that they go and they, the, the, the people of Ammon hire these Syrians to go to battle with them. Now let me say this. When you have misjudged a person, and certainly the people of Ammon have misjudged David's intentions badly, he wanted to bless, he took took actions just to, to a good action to bless them. They chose a very bad reaction to, to, to believe the worst about him. You've been in that situation where you've reacted badly. The best, absolute best thing that you can do when you've misjudged a person is what? to repent. The absolute best thing that you could do is to take responsibility and confess your sin and to ask for forgiveness. And we've been in these, in First in and 2 Samuel long enough for you to know the heart and the character of David. Now, if, if the people of, of Ammon had fessed up to the fact that, oh, we misjudged him. This really wasn't his heart. If they would have gone to David and said, my bad, uh, dude, I, I'm, I'm an idiot. I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? Would David have forgiven them? He would have. He would have. And, and that's what we got to understand. So often, when you've been in a situation where you misjudge somebody, the, the, the best thing you can do is just go, man, I blew it. I've said this before. My, uh, I'm blessed with a wife who is just so mellow. I and mean, She's a redhead, so if we go to Dukes, man, I mean, not physically, okay? No. But, if, but if we get in a fight, she's up for a good fight. But if I go, you know what? I blew it. She's just the first one to go, that's cool, I forgive you. And, and, and I say a lot, oh gosh, would you please forgive me? And my wife's like, yeah. And I'm so grateful for her because, you know, it, it's just, man, trust me, that is just the best. You know, you, you, when you get older, you get better at this too. You're like, okay, we could fight all night or I could just say I'm wrong because I am wrong. And we could have a good night. I'm wrong. You know, would you forgive me? Yeah. A lot of times, you know, we'll go, the older you get, you're like, you know, when we were younger, we would have been, we would have had a little more energy for, for, for a good fight all night. Now we look at each other, eh, forget it, let's go to dinner, you know. So, so thank you, Lord. You no, know, when you've misjudged a person, the best thing you do is take responsibility. Jesus said this, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Again Jesus said look if you bring your gift to the altar and there at the altar you remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift before the altar first go your way first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift the, the, the heart of God just hey be reconciled work it out just you know do this and this is the best thing but rather than do this what do the people of Ammon do they go and they find others to help them press the fight isn't that what we do so often Begin get into fight, I misjudged you, and I double down, and it's like, now I'm going to draw other people into the battle. And this is exactly what we read that these people do. They compound the situation, and they enlist others in the fight. And listen, I just say this. You're never going to win when you're wrong. and It doesn't matter how many people you're going to enlist into the battle with you. When you're wrong, you're never going to win. So, so just, you know, understand that. Now, 2 Samuel chapter... Ten, verse 7 we continue and it says now when David heard of it what did he hear of? Well he heard of the fact that now the people of Ammon are doubling down and they just went and hired a bunch of mercenaries to go to battle and go attack them. So when David heard of it he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. Ecclesiastes 3.8 says there's a time for peace And there's a time for war, and the people of Ammon just push the issue, and they push David into a corner. He's got no choice now. He's got to fight. He's got to defend the nation. And so he sends Joab, and then the people of Ammon came out, and they put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate, and the Syrians, the hired guns that they went and hired... The Syrians of Zobah, Beth-Rehab, Ishtab, and Makkah were by themselves in the field. And when Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and he put them in battle array against the Syrians and the rest of the people he put under the command of Ibshai his brother, that he might set them in battle array against the people of Ammon, And then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. I love it. He's only got one speed, attack. Attack. It, that's that, That's his battle plan. It's like, okay, look, we're, we're surrounded. That's what this text says. They split their forces. They're attacking them in a classic pincher move where they get one group on one side, one group on the other, and then they're going to close all around them and surround them, and there's only one strategy for accurately combating that kind of a maneuver, and that is you divide your forces and you fight on two fronts. Robert E. Lee was famous for doing this. And and so the, here's what happens is he splits his forces, and he basically says, we're going here, you're going there. I'm going to take the best fighting men to go against the mercenaries because they're the hired guns. They're the stronger force. I'm going to put Ibishai and everybody else fighting against the, the, the people of Amman. And if you guys need help, we'll help you out. If we need help, we'll get help from you. As it turns out, neither of them needs help, and they have a resounding victory. And we continue. It says... Uh, Verse 12, here's his command to the people. He says, be of good good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Very important stuff there. We'll come back to that as we close. Verse 13, so Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. They didn't even have to fight. They just showed up and the Syrians took off. Some hired guns, they are. And when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, They also fled before Abishai and entered the city. And so Joab returned from the people of Ammon, and he went to Jerusalem. Now, when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered together. In other words, they regrouped. And that's something you need to know when the enemy attacks you. He always regroups. It's never a one-and-done thing with the enemy. He always regroups and gets ready to counterattack. And this is exactly what's happening here. And so they gathered together, verse 16, then Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river and they came to Helam and uh, Shobach... The commander of Hadadezer's army went before them. So in other words, not only are they regrouping, but now they're reinforcing. And that's, what the, that's the enemy's tactic. Every time, never one and done, he regroups, he gets reinforced, he comes back again tomorrow. Jesus in the wilderness. Satan is tempting him. And Satan, finally, after all of his efforts to, to tempt Jesus were unsuccessful, what's it tell us? He left him for an opportune time. He's going to regather, regroup, and he's going to reinforce, and he's going to come back at another time. This is always his strategy. So this is what they do. And when it was told, verse 17, David, he, that is David, gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, and came to Helam. and the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David and fought with him. Here's what you need to take from this. David, up until this point, he sent Joab to fight the battle. Now David himself needs to step in, and David needs to lead. And that's important. You need to remember that because in the very next chapter, David is going to commit a catastrophic failure sin that is going to change forever the direction and the shape and the effectiveness of his ministry. And here he has the seeds now to be told by God and reinforced by God, look, you have a job. It's a very important job and you need to lead these troops and he's got this fresh reminder and what we're going to see is David blows it in the very next chapter. And so David, he went and he fought and it says, verse 18, Then the Syrians fled before Israel and David killed 700 charioteers, 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians, and struck Shobach, the commander of their army, who died there. Moral of the story, it's not in my notes, but you can just take it down. These were the idiots who decided to join in with somebody else who did the original infraction. The people from Amman, the people from Jordan area, they're the ones that totally misjudged David, started the whole thing, and they drew the Syrians into their fight. Don't let somebody drag you in to their unbiblical fight. Because this, the Syrians were routed and destroyed. They all died there. Verse 19, And when all the kings who were servants to Hadadizar saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. And so the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. And So what we're going to see next week is that David is going to go back against the people of Ammon. There's a battle that needs to fight there, but David doesn't go. He's supposed to. He stays at home. We'll look at that next week. But listen, where, where where we left off here, and what we need to consider right now, is that God is protecting David. and And what we see, this is the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise that God gave to David. Now, it's a battle David never intended to fight. And you need to understand that. <clears throat> that we also, so often... We have to fight battles because the enemy attacks us and we never would have chosen it for ourselves. David never intended to do this. Now God's going to use it for the good of Israel and he's going to fulfill his promises through this. Full on Romans 8.28 being fulfilled. What, What Satan intends for evil, God will use, work together for good in your life. What we need to take away from this and understand is that even though you're going to you're gonna be drawn into battles that weren't your choosing that God's going to allow you to fight. We're talking about the battle between good and evil. You're God's servant. You're just trying to live your life. I just want to bless you, God. And now why, is this, why am I now fighting against the enemy? Because he hates you. And he wants to destroy your life. And so what I want to do now, and just the the, the conclusion of this, is focus on verse 12. Because what we see in verse 12 is that Joab makes three great points as it pertains to this battle that we have to fight. So if you go back and look at verse 12, he says, first of all, be of good courage and let us be strong. That's the first point that he makes. Be of good courage and let us be strong. Here's what I want you to hear about that courage and strength are not matters of feeling and circumstance, they are matters of choice. And I need to repeat that because it's very important. Courage and strength are not matters of feeling and circumstance. They're matters of choice. So often, whether or not we're going to be courageous in an attack that we're facing by the enemy, we, we make it about, you know, circumstantially. We make it about, you know, how I feel. And, and the Bible warns against that. It says, you know, don't let your feelings dictate the way you're going to live your life, because you're going to be like a ship that's tossed around on on the waves and in the wind, you know. And and you, you just can't let your feelings dictate how you live. You have to make a decision, a choice. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna have I'm gonna take courage, and I'm gonna operate in strength. Now, concluding his letters, his letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote this. He's talking about spiritual warfare. He says, "Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord." And in the power of his might. Flat out, be strong in, in 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 the Lord and in the power of his might. Now then Paul goes on to talk about the armor of God, and one of the pieces of the armor of God that he talks about is the shield of faith. And he says, Put on take put on the shield of faith, because with the shield of faith you're gonna be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Now here's here's what that means. The Romans, they would carry around this shield. It was this big, heavy leather shield. They would soak it in water. And, and when the enemy would shoot fiery darts, it would go into the, le- the soaked leather, and it would put the fiery dart out. The enemy in your life, Satan, when he battles against you, he sends these fiery darts, and the fiery darts that, that come to you are, are they're, they're these threats that, that are going to cause you to believe his lies, and what you need to do is be able to put on faith against those things and go that 's a lie that 's a lie that 's a lie, because the enemy traffics in fear, and what he wants to do is he wants to get you afraid so that you will take actions that are contrary to the actions that God wants you to take and so we have to understand when when Joab steps up to his, his people and he says Look, be of good, good courage and be strong. That's a choice. You and I, we need to be of good courage and we need to be strong. And listen to this about strength. God makes his strength available to us. Romans eight eleven says, but if the spirit of him, Jesus Christ, who uh, God, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here's what that means. The power that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. You have the power of God dwelling inside of you. And so, so often in life, what happens is the enemy attacks, and we look, and it's, you know, Goliath, and it's like, God, this is too big for me. And God would say, you're right, it is too big for you, but it's not too big for me. And all I've called you to do is to trust me and to live a life of faith, and with that faith, when the enemy lies to you, and those fiery darts come that cause you to doubt and to fear, no, no, I'm going to put on faith, and I'm going to say, my God's bigger, than anything else. And I'm just going to trust in the Lord. So be of good courage and let us be strong. Now, he goes on to say, in, in, uh, in verse 12, not only, first of all, be of courage, good courage and let us be strong, he says, for our people and for the cities of God. That's the second thing in the battles that we face. Not only do we need to be of good courage and let us be strong, but secondly, let us be strong for our people and for the cities of God. Here's the point of application. You need to understand, Moms, dads, you need to understand, you've got a lot to lose, okay? And, and so the battles that are going to come against you, there is, there's a lot at stake. So you have to recognize, look, if I believe this lie, if I, if I yield to this temptation, it's not just me who's going to fall, I'm going to hurt my wife, I'm going to hurt my kids, you believe the lie of the enemy, you get involved in an adulterous relationship, and you think, whatever, it's two consenting adults. No, no, no. You, you're, 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 your whole family's at stake. Your, your, your city's at stake. Your people are at stake. It's so important to keep in mind. You got a lot to lose. It's bigger than you. The third thing Joab says there in verse 12, he says, And may the Lord do... What is good in his sight. May the Lord do what's good in his sight. Listen, when a farmer prays for rain, he says amen with a plow. And the idea here is that, look, having done all that you can do, if you go into the battle and say, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to be courageous and strong in the Lord. If you say, I'm gonna be committed to this fight because there's more at stake than I realize. My wife, my kids, my family, my city, it's all at stake. And you do that, and you commit, and that's, that's the strength and the power and so on. But at the end of the day, you say, you know what, Lord? Now it's in your hands. I've done all I can do. I've worked like it depends on me. But you know what? I've prayed and I've trusted in you like it all depends on you. And now, God, it's in your hands. And if you will do those three things, listen, that is what brings you through the attacks that you're going to face. Certainly, it's what brings David and Jerusalem and Israel through the attacks that they're facing. Listen, I want to close on this point. This whole thing is a story about how David wanted to extend a kindness and bless a guy in a nation that was near him. And how they mistook his kindness and they rejected his kindness and they, and they treated his envoys with contempt and, and really horribly. Can I tell you, it's, it's a picture of us. Because David here, he's a picture of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of God. And, and Jesus said that, you know, God, he, he sent his emissaries to us to show kindness to us. He sent his prophets to us. He sent his apostles to us. He sends pastors to us. He sends messages, teachers, godly anointed teachers to us. And, and they're bringing a message of kindness and a message of encouragement. They're bringing a message of life. And here's the message that God has sent. I love you. I want to know you. I want to be in fellowship with you. And your choice is either to receive that kindness or to reject that kindness. And there's, there's many who reject the kindness. And what, I, what ends up happening is they, they go to war against God. When all in all, and maybe that describes you, and maybe you've been in a place where you've rejected God's word, where you've rejected his kindness. Maybe you found yourself at war with God today. And look, the same wisdom applies. How do you get yourself out of it? Have mercy on me. I, I'm, I blew it. You extended a kindness to me, and I rejected it. But God, I, I ask your forgiveness.